Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, a venture capital and startups reporter here, and I'm joined by Danny Crichton, TechCrunch's managing editor. What's up, Danny? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm working from home, and uh, congrats on your first hosting of, of Equity. This is TechCrunch in a nutshell. It's your second week on the show, and we're already throwing you into the host chair. Good luck. And it's a little scarier also because we are joined today by CEO of Y Combinator, Michael Seibel. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's a fun day. So for those of you all that don't know what YC is, it is a seed stage accelerator that helps seed startups launch. It helped companies that you all might recognize like Stripe, Airbnb, DoorDash, Instacart, which we all know more now than usual. And it holds an accelerator twice a year in a three-month funding cycle. And it, this year, it's virtual for a number of different reasons. Uh, Danny, have you ever been to Demo Day before? Believe it or not, I have not. That's crazy. I, I, tr- I tried to avoid any conference with more than 100 people. And I, I think <laughs> I think Demo Day, what, maybe, Michael, you'd have to remind me, what, nine years ago, there might have been like only 300 people. And now it's, what, what are you up to now? A typical demo day is going to see 1,200 or so come in and out. That's actually just the investors. That doesn't include the founders there. Or the or the journalists that are live tweeting <laughs> the whole time. My last demo day was actually my first ever. So I was at the winter 2019 one. And just to set the scene, it's in a big warehouse. This one had one stage, but when you enter, you get a badge. And it's kind of free reign from there. There's startups doing demos, people networking, deals happening, walk straight through the back and startups presenting two minute pitches. And this year it is online only. And Michael, I'd love if you can kind of just start off by telling us a little bit about that decision. Yeah, so we were looking at all the news and trying to figure out how we would adapt YC to help the founders complete the program. And it became pretty obvious. Two things became pretty obvious. One, getting the founders together in a large group was irresponsible. And then the second thing that became obvious was that by moving Demo Day online, a lot of investors started reaching out to our founders way more, way earlier than we had seen previously. And so when we looked at all that, we said, okay, perhaps it makes sense not only to move the event online, but to actually move it up a week. And we made that decision about a week ago. And it turns out to have been great because everything is going really well today. And we really can't predict what the next couple of months are going to look like. And tell me more about the kind of subtraction of the two-minute pitch. I know this year it's a single slide summary and short description, team bio. What are the pros and cons of getting rid of the video aspect? So I think that the number one thing we thought about when trying to figure out what this demo day experience would be like was how do we actually make it perfect as if it were native for the online experience. And so when we first started talking about it, we started thinking, oh, can we make something that is a exact replication of being at demo day live? And we realized really quickly that that was impossible. And so we started thinking, what are the strengths of having it purely online versus how do we copy a live event? And that's what got us to our current format. We talked to a lot of investors who basically said, if it's not going to be an event, I want a really easy to use website that allows me to scan all the companies very quickly and deep dive into the ones that I really want to talk to. And they also said that they're going to be set up doing video conference calls basically for the whole week. So for the ones they really want to double click into, they want to schedule a conference call with them. So um, we basically built that and it seems to be working really well. Danny, I'd love for you to weigh in here too. I guess I wonder how this will impact 
fundraising, um, how deal making looks um, and what, what it looks like when it's not happening through the networking session that traditionally happens at Demo Day. There's a small subset of startups before Demo Day even happens that already have investments, already have a lot of interest. What does that look like when not everyone has the same access by meeting in person? A lot of investors have decided already pre-demo day the kind of companies they want to invest in, right? In, in many ways, YC is a convener of the community. And Michael's been one of the major you know, ringleaders of bringing you know, the cross-section of Silicon Valley of people who love large group gatherings to show up. Um, I believe it was used to be at the Computer History Museum, if I recall. I don't know if that's still the case today. But, um, I, you know, as I wrote about two weeks ago, kind of pre all the worst, worst news from coronavirus, you know, a lot of seed investors said, we're still in the market, we're still investing. In some cases, they were saying that we were actually going to double down, expecting lower valuations and sort of better returns possible. The fact that we're hearing that, you know, investors were reaching out even faster to YC companies, that was one of the major reasons why Michael and his team kind of sped up actually sort of lines up with that. I think at the earliest stages, you know, you're looking at companies that are still a decade away from going public, from being an exit. It's a long journey. Coronavirus hopefully will not be here in 10 years. And, you know, hopefully the kinds of investors who are showing up are the ones who are long-term thinking, saying, hey, you know, I know you're going to build something new in India. You're building something new in Africa or LATAM. And hopefully we'll get to talk about a little bit more of the international component of the YC batch this year. But, you know, these are emerging markets that are going to be heavy growth targets over the next 10 years and hopefully they're going to be holding their hands all the way through. I'll put a pin in the coronavirus chat for a little bit, and we definitely will get back to it later from a bigger perspective. But I want to get into kind of the numbers of the batch and what it looks like, because again, there will not be any live tweets this time. So Michael, I know that there's over 200 companies, um, over 1,000 investors RSVP'd. What can, you, what can we imagine that we would have seen if we were there? So you would have seen 32 countries uh, represented this batch which I believe is the most countries we've ever seen, which has been excited. You've seen a large contingent of companies from India. We have 30 companies, 19 from Latin America, 13 targeting the African market and the Middle East market. I think that two of the trends you would have seen um, that I've specifically seen in my group, one is a trend around worker and developer productivity. I think you've basically seen an explosion in developer tools over the past five years. And now developers have to have multiple tabs open and they have to be doing, using multiple tools to get their work done. And it's actually starting to suck away time and energy. And so we're seeing a lot of companies that are trying to figure out how to keep the developers writing code and not in random tools and not in meetings. The second trend I'm seeing internationally is a large trend to serve the Indian population that's just coming online now. A lot of the Indian companies talk to me about kind of two Indias. One that's kind of the more emerged market that looks a lot more like a Western market. And the second is one that's still largely a cash economy with a number of people who are on smartphones who've come online in the past year and are coming online in the next five years. We're seeing a lot of companies that are attacking um, that group and trying to make sure that they have the same quality of goods and services that the folks who are a little more rich have access to. When I was at Crunchbase News, I wrote a story about WhatsApp being a huge competitive advantage for Indian startups. And I was wondering if you saw the same thing here. Um, I haven't had a chance to mosey through all of the startups yet. Tons of startups are leveraging WhatsApp. There's one startup in particular that, you know, has made WhatsApp one of the core parts of their business. It's, a, it's an online e-commerce startup for buying fruits and vegetables. And so, uh, yeah, it's, 
it's a huge network. It's a, it's a product that a lot of people know how to use. And so it's a great thing to grow on top of. Are there any other startups that you think that you want to note by any chance that fit into any of the themes we talked about before? I know that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get in trouble when I mention specific startups too much. So I'm happy to talk about general trends, but, uh, for the specific ones, you guys got to bump around the site and find the ones you guys like. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a story about uh, a Southeast Asian-focused fintech company called Genfi, which I believe was in this batch. Talked about them a couple of weeks ago on TechCrunch. What was interesting to me is to see not only, you know, building more and more on top of WhatsApp and a bunch of the other platforms, but just, you know, rebuilding models from the grounds up for the digital age. So in, in this particular context, Genfi was building out um, loan products for small, medium businesses in Singapore and Indonesia and elsewhere in Southeast Asia. And what they found is, you know, obviously there's a lot of small, medium businesses. WhatsApp is a great distribution channel to getting their marketing message out. But then they're also taking advantage of all the other digital services where the data for those businesses lie. And so they're able to do a much more automated job of actually delivering products than sort of traditional banks like DBS and others in, in Singapore. And so I think we're seeing that in LATAM. Um, we, you know, we have a new writer um, who, who's been with us for a long time on TechCrunch, but but Anna um, Escher, who is our social media manager, is now also writing about Latin American startups. And we also have Jake Bright writing about Africa. And so even at TechCrunch, we've kind of adapted our coverage um, to cover, you know, Southeast Asia, Asia, Africa, LATAM, um, Europe, and a lot of the international markets that, um, you know, a couple of years ago, sadly, were overlooked, by, I think, by a lot of investors and founders. And on that note, how does YC look different if you are a startup coming from another country than if you were a startup based in San Francisco or New York or any other market in the States? So it can look a lot different. If I were to break it down, I think the first thing that's interesting is that if you're a company that's competing in your local market and you can build a strong relationship with Silicon Valley, you have a huge advantage. You have a hiring advantage. You have an advice advantage. You often have a fundraising advantage. That you can take home with you. So disproportionately, I think that YC is even more valuable to folks who come internationally. I would say the second thing, which has been really interesting to see, is that the international founders are in many ways kind of morphing YC. The first major change we saw was that all international founders were on WhatsApp. We started talking to those founders on WhatsApp and suddenly we built this tradition where we talk to every single company on WhatsApp now. And so every group partner is connected with all their companies on WhatsApp 24-7. And that was all based on the international founders starting that trend. The second trend we're seeing uh, from a lot of the companies from India and LATAM is kind of morphing YC into a semi-remote program. You know, they'll come for the first portion of the batch, meet everyone, learn a lot of stuff, go back home, continue to work on their product, come back or send a founder back towards the middle, and then send the team back at the end of fundraising. And they kind of figured out how to modify YC. And we've modified YC as well. We've moved a lot of group office hours for these companies online. We've changed the times. And so what's really cool is we tell founders YC is a tool and that you have to basically use it to make your company great. And a lot of founders have embraced that message. Um, instead of thinking of YC as some kind of university where you have to kind of bend to the program that it creates. And I'm guessing that leans a bit into the diversity that you're seeing in this batch. Can you talk to me about the diversity? I saw that 20.9% of the startups have a female founder. There's also other stats. How do you feel about those stats? Yeah, so I can go through the stats really quickly. 20% of the companies have a female founder and the batch is 11.3% women. 8.6% of the companies have a black founder and the batch is 7.6% black. And 9% of the companies have a a Latin founder, and about 9% of the founders are Latin. And I think that one going international has certainly significantly impacted diversity. 
The other thing that Going International has done is made people around the world and locally realize that they can get into YC too. I think that there are all these myths around, well, not myths. I mean, there are all these kind of historical truths about who gets to access Silicon Valley. And it typically rolls through an Ivy League school or rolls through a family connection. And it didn't feel accessible to everyone. And YC's message has always been that we want to make Silicon Valley accessible by having an open application and accepting anyone who qualifies. But people actually have to see that. And they actually have to see people from their country getting in, have to see people who look like them getting in in order for that message to really take hold. And I think in the last couple of years, we've been able to slowly start really making that clear that this isn't really an old boys network. You don't have to know us to get into YC. The vast majority of companies do not know us before getting into YC. We just want to continue that message. That's the reason why I'm here, to be honest. Honest. One of the questions we got uh, on Twitter when we posted that we were interviewing you was around the connection between startup school and the YC kind of core program. Could you talk a little bit about that, particularly in the diversity context? I mean, is that has been a good pipeline for you? Is that a way to get more access? So um, a couple of things. So one, startup school now represents about 50% of all the applicants to YC. So it's been an incredible pipeline to YC. The second thing is that we believe that part of the problem of accessing Silicon Valley is that there's specialized knowledge and information here that some people have and other people's don't. And one of the things we want to do with Startup School is basically even that playing field. There's no reason why information that's freely available online, if you know where to look, shouldn't be accessible to founders anywhere in the world. And so what we tried to do with Startup School is basically collect all that information put it on one place and put in a place where founders can trust they're getting good information and trying to even the information playing field. Because there are talented people and technical people everywhere, but there aren't Silicon Valleys everywhere. There aren't people you can talk to who've basically had the startup experience before. And so we're trying to make sure that that's as evenly spread around the world as possible. And it's been great. Founders have been responding. There are literally tens of thousands of founders participate in every program we do now. And since you have experience in building the online community aspect of YC, I want to also talk to you more generally about the conferences we're seeing online and a bunch of demo days as well. I know 500 startups and tech stars as well. What are the do's and don'ts of moving something online when it has to do with start <laughs> startups looking for investors and investors looking for startups? I think that's a really hard question for me to ask because I, I am learning on the fly as well. <laughs> Uh, I think that um, at least from what we've seen so far, my number one takeaway is that you should build a product that's specifically designed for the interface that you're using, as opposed to try to replicate what happens in the physical world. I think it's really hard to replicate randomly bouncing into people. It's really hard to replicate little small groups talking. I think the thing that's really great about being online is that if you create a really good experience and a really good interface, you can allow people to explore a lot of companies very quickly. More broadly, I know you were at YC twice as a founder, right? Yep. What's the best way to take advantage of a potential YC that's remote? I don't know if that's too much um, <laughs> assumption, but let's say it is. That's an interesting question. I think one of the kind of secret values of YC that's becoming less and less secret every year is that you can use YC to get customers. And we have... You know, I think now it's going to be over 2,000 active companies that buy things every day. And I don't think that that advantage goes away when you go remote at all. I think the other thing that's interesting about going remote is that there are a number of founders that, for whatever reason, cannot coordinate accessing Silicon Valley at all. And it'd be interesting to see 
them start applying to YC and what ideas they're working on and kind of what they're interested in. So to me, the, the remote change is going to be very interesting. We haven't really figured out exactly how it would work, whether it's partially or fully remote. There are so many details that we have not figured out. But what we do know is that we're going to be funding companies this summer. And that's why we want to get that message out as soon as possible. All right, that's it for now. If you want to listen to the full interview with Michael Seibel, head over to Extra Crunch. The link to the post is in the description of this episode. See you all over there.